And now on Tucson Business Radio X, your home for real estate with Carol Nugent. Well, hello, everybody. This is Carol Nugent, your home for real estate in Tucson, Arizona, hot Tucson, Arizona, and on Tucson Business Radio X. And I am here today with David Scott. He and his wife are the co-owners of Bio One here in Tucson. And with coronavirus taking over, literally, uh, and very much on the increase here in Tucson, I really wanted to devote today's program to talking about what do we need to know about our homes and what do we need to do to keep our homes safe. We hear a lot about masks and gloves and social distancing, and I haven't heard a lot in the media about what do we need to do our, to keep our homes safe. And uh, Bio One, the company that David and, and Carolyn own, is a biohazard cleanup and decontamination company. And I thought he would be the perfect person to fill in all of the blank spots that we have. So, David, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Well, thank you very much, Carol, and thank you for having me on today. And uh, really excited about being able to try and educate your listeners on what yes. what they should be looking for. And you know what? I know that Bio One does a lot. You provide a lot of other services that our listeners might be interested in. But I want to really start and address the COVID-19. And I was so glad to get the information sheet that you sent me because the first thing that you mentioned was that we needed to talk about how COVID-19 is categorized by the CDC and why that's important to know because I had never, I mean, I know we hear about the CDC's recommendations for our personal health, but I'd never really thought about how that might apply to the home. So how does that affect us, David? Sure. Uh, well, the CDC has actually um, categorized COVID-19 as a level three biohazard. Okay. So what that means is um, special care needs to be taken when doing disinfections. and uh, But the most important thing is all the waste that's uh, collected from doing a disinfection. For example, the uh, paper towels, the suits that the crew wears, the gloves, the booties, Everything that's uh, disposable that comes out of uh, doing the disinfection has to actually be red bagged or put in a biohazard red bag and transported to a medical waste disposal facility. So we don't want to just throw this stuff in the garbage, okay, because the problem is that we throw it in the garbage once somebody goes through the garbage and it's still, you know, the virus might still be alive on the suit or something like that. We want to make sure that it is properly disposed of so we don't keep on promoting the transmission of this disease. So that's what you what is recommended after the disinfection. So what is the proper procedure for COVID disinfection? So the proper procedure for COVID disinfection starts with uh, the crew being suited up um, we go in and we start out by fogging the whole home or business. Uh, what that does is that item atomizes all the droplets so that the droplets of the disinfectant can get everywhere. 
then most of the disinfectants need to sit for 10 minutes. So if you just go in and spray and wipe down immediately, that's you're not giving it enough time to work. So it has to sit for 10 minutes. At the end of the 10 minutes, we then go through and we then um, spray and wipe down again with both uh, regular sprayers and electrostatic sprayers, all the high touchable surfaces. For example, we uh, wipe down the light switches, the doorknobs, the kitchen counters, the tables, um, computers, uh, telephones, um, any place that would be normally a high touch area would get a second treatment of the disinfectants. So what I'm thinking about listening to you is that with so many of us in our homes, and I'm sure there are many people in their businesses are doing, is exactly what you say not to do. People are going in, spraying, wiping, and walking away. Correct. <laughs> you're, you're saying that that really isn't sufficient. Correct. Um, all the, uh, I'd say, not all, but... I'd say 90% of the disinfectants that are on the EPA list N for what uh, the EPA, EPA has approved to fight the coronavirus, they all require what's called a 10-minute dwell time, which mm. means you spray it on and it's got to sit for 10 minutes before you wipe it down in order to kill the virus. Wow. That's really interesting. I think there are a lot of people, myself included, who this is the first time I've ever heard that. So that's very useful information. And I'm, I'm, I know that you provide these services, and I know yep. that there are other companies that provide this kind of service for people who, who might be either feeling like they need it or they're just a little anxious, and so they'll feel a little safer if they have it. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell me um, – how should a person decide whether they need to actually have a company like yours come into their home as opposed to just kind of, you know, doing what they think they should be doing themselves? The, the big question will be is, has there been an active case or have they been exposed okay. uh, to COVID-19? If they're just doing precautionary, a homeowner can do that themselves and save the expense of a professional company coming in. Okay. But if they've had people, uh, some people are having still you know, remodeling going on in their homes, and you don't know where these people have been that are coming in and out of their homes. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a friend of theirs that they visited with had uh, COVID-19, got COVID-19. Or maybe they went out to a restaurant, you know, now that the restaurants are open, maybe they did go to a restaurant, but... Um, then they heard that at the restaurant there was an active case. Um, but the big thing is, is if they if they get COVID, they want to get you know if they get COVID or they know somebody who's had COVID has been in their home, they want to get it disinfected. And you're saying professionally disinfected, not just by them. Correct, professionally disinfected. And what is the cost? Is how do you charge? Is that by footage or length of time or how do you determine the, the cost it's by square it, yeah it's it, yes it's by square footage and we have a sliding scale um so it depends on the size of the home okay. um so it can rain it's it's you know to have it professionally done i don't want to kid anybody it is an expensive uh this you know procedure um mm -hmm. you know you could be expecting anywhere from uh high hundreds into the thousands. 
Okay. Okay. But it could also it could also be life saving. It can. It can definitely because you don't want you know this virus is so unpredictable. Um, even the CDC, first they say it can live on surfaces for one day, then they say seven days, then they say four days. The problem is two things. They don't know enough about the virus, and apparently from latest reports, there's a possibility that it could be mutating. Yes. So, and how did, uh, yeah, and I know that mutation is of concern. Yes. And so I, I know a lot of people, one of their approaches, even when they have a family member um, who is either exposed or actually diagnosed with COVID, one of the strategies is to isolate them in the home. You know, they have a basement. So one in, the individual who either was exposed or who may even have the virus is restricted to the, the basement. In a case like, or, you know, a, a particular room in the house. It, in a case like that, would you recommend that the entire house then be disinfected as well? It really depends on did the person truly isolate to, let's say, the basement. Okay. If they truly isolated to the basement, and the other thing to consider is, well, in Tucson, there's not many basements. But uh, <laughs> uh, let's let's run with the basement idea and say, if uh, if the person was isolated to the basement, but the HVAC system is in the basement, yeah, I would recommend doing the whole house because there's a possibility that it could have gotten into the HVAC system and therefore being spread throughout the house. Well, okay, so in Tucson, let's use the example of a casita. <laughs> yes. If so, someone is isolated in a casita, would you still recommend that the main house and and the casita be disinfected? No, just the area, you know, as long as there's no uh, exposure to the HVAC system, just the area that they were exposed to. You know, if okay. it may be the bedroom and a bathroom, um, you know, maybe there's a, a den that they used, you know, the area, you know, sort of corner, corner, corner off the area that they're exposed, that they've exposed and have that area cleaned. Okay. So I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about what your background is? I know that there are a lot of regulations uh, in, in addition to recommendations by various federal and perhaps state agencies. I'm not sure about that. And I'm just wondering, what do you have to go through or what are the regulations that you have to follow to ensure that the treatments that you are providing are effective? Sure. Um, we, first off, when we do disinfections like this, we, we adhere to both CDC and OSHA guidelines. And uh, as a company, BioOne has been disinfecting for viruses for over 20 years. So we've already been disinfecting for things like um, HIV, H1N1, C. diff, MRSA, things like that. So disinfecting for viruses, that's something we've done right along. Um, but you need to follow CDC and OSHA guidelines. Now, OSHA is the one that really spells out what workers Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're there to protect the workers. So right. they really have gone through and um, lined up a series of things that each worker that's uh, doing this type of disinfection should um, follow. Things like, does the uh, technicians, are they certified in bloodborne pathogens? Okay. 
are they uh, wearing proper PPE or pr personal protective equipment to include things like polypropylene suits, which are Every, I'm, I'm using the technical word. Everybody knows what a Tyvek suit, or most people know what a Tyvek suit, a lot of painters wear them, things like that. They need to be using a biohazard level Tyvek type suit. Uh, they need to be using actual respirators, not just an N95, but actual full face respirators uh, when doing the disinfection. Uh, gloves are, so you, you know. You're, you're, you're referring to the service technicians who go in to do the disinfecting. Correct. But, okay. So, so not only are there guidelines for the procedures that need to be followed, but they have to have uh, very strict uh, adherence to the PPE guidelines that are established by OSHA and, and the CDC, correct? Correct. Correct. OSHA has set up some very strict um, guidelines. into are what. There, are there companies that are claiming to do disinfection? Is this one of the things that, uh, say, one of our listeners is thinking about this and considering it? Are there remediation companies that might not be living up to these standards? Are there are there certain questions you would advise that a listener ask any remediation company that they're considering using? Yes, I mean the good. The some of the good examples I can give is well, number one. Um, how long has the uh, company been disinfecting for viruses? There are companies out there that, um, and, and one company I just saw on Facebook today, they are a uh, furniture rental, office furniture rental company that's now advertised that they can disinfect for um, COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So what experience do they have? The other thing to ask is, are they insured? You know, for example, we carry liability insurance that actually covers us doing disinfection for COVID-19. Most insurance companies started, as soon as COVID hit, started excluding this uh, coverage. Uh, however, we were able to find a carrier that will cover us. And that's important because what happened, now we're using electrical devices to disinfect the home. What happens if uh, one of our wires is frayed and we start a fire in your home? What happens if uh, we break a antique while we're doing the disinfection? These are all liability issues that if a company does not have proper insurance that covers them for doing this work, the insurance carrier will not cover it. Mm. Gee, I never even thought about that. That's a very, that's a very good point. Interesting. I'm curious, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm a little bit of a cynic, but I'm guessing that anytime there's an opportunity for money to be made, there are a lot of people jumping in where they see an opening. And I don't want to disparage the, the furniture company that you just alluded to, but I'm guessing that this might be an area where there are a lot of startups claiming to be able to provide this service for individuals. So asking about... Um, their adherence to OSHA guidelines for their own technicians, asking the length of time that they've been doing virus uh, decontamination, finding out if they have liability coverage for this particular type of service as opposed to just a general liability. So Correct. those are three three good questions. Are there should people be asking 
about the PPE and making sure that they are full respirators as opposed to uh, the 95 masks? Yes, because a um, good example, and one thing I left out of when we talked about the procedure is because we go in and the proper procedure is to start off with fogging, that's made, that's making the disinfection, you know, the disinfectants um, airborne. Right. So we don't know. These disinfectants have just been, a lot of them have been around, some of them have been around for years like Clorox. That's a disinfectant. Uh, they've been around for years, but we know Clorox, if you inhale it, can be very um, toxic to the body. So if we're if we're going in and we're spraying this chemical, you want to make sure that um, not only is the technicians that are doing it protected, but for example, we tell our customers after we're done, please do not re-enter the home or business for two to three hours after we're done because we want the chemical to have time to dissipate so that they're not breathing it in. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's another point I never even thought of. And how thorough are you in terms of preparing individuals to have this service provided in their house? Oh, well, we, we try to explain to them exactly what we're going over today and exactly how the procedure is done. Right, right when we schedule the appointment, we let them know that the procedure you know, the disinfection, depending on the size, can take anywhere from one to three hours of actual work. But then when we're done, you really need to let it sit for the two to three hours. Because as I said, we don't know what these chemicals are going to do to the body later on. We don't want mm-hmm. them breathing them in. Uh, they're non-toxic, but who knows? You know, we don't know. <laughs> look at look at what just happened with um, Roundup. 20 years it's been being used and all of a sudden there's a problem. We don't want our customers or our employees to have those types of problems. And I'm curious, David, what is the effectiveness of this type of treatment? Is there any statistic you can cite or how assured can people be that, you know, as you said, it's an expensive service. How assured can people be that if they do go to the extent of having a professional decontamination service, that it will be effective? Okay, so that's really the million-dollar question. And if it's done right, we can confidently say, now there's never 100%, you know, with this virus, for all we know, it mutates and all of a sudden the disinfectant stop working against it. But based on what we know today, when we get done, we can tell you that your home or business is COVID-free. That is until someone with the virus reenters the home or business. Yeah. There is no magic, oh, our chemical lasts for 30 or 60 or 90 days. Mm-hmm. Any disinfectant is going to last until the virus is reintroduced to the, uh, to the home or business. So that's one of the dangers of um, non-symptomatic transmission, I- I'm guessing. Yes. You know, someone can come back into the house. You know, right now, we're having this huge debate all over the country about kids returning to school. But So let's use that as an example. So a child goes off to school. They're not symptomatic, but they come back into the home and they're carriers. And Correct. Even if the house has been thoroughly decontaminated, the droplets are airborne again, and it's possible that someone could then um, become be, be contagious and transmit the illness. Correct. So this is really this is I mean it's it's it sounds like it's a wonderful 
post-contamination um, service, but one that needs to be done with all of those prevention measures in place as well, or you, or you could end up right back in the position that you started. <laughs> yes. Very, yes, very it is. Well, you know, one of the things also that comes to mind for me is what about other, we've been talking primarily about homes, and I'm assuming that much of what you're discussing applies to businesses as well. Um, what about vehicles? What about cars? or bicycles, or motorcycles, you know, since it's there's so much unknown about the transmission on surfaces, I've heard some reports that say it's not transmittable on surfaces. And as you were saying earlier, I've heard reports that it's transmittable for a certain period of time, and there's a lot of controversy about that. So what about other substances like vehicles that people might be coming into contact with but, you know, they're not enclosed in the house. What do you recommend for those types of concerns? Well, for a couple of things, let's talk about vehicles. Uh, if it's your own private vehicle, if nobody, if you haven't taken it into a service shop, you haven't taken it, nobody's been in your vehicle but you and your family, and nobody in your family has been uh, exposed to COVID, your vehicle is safe. If you, by chance, use Uber or Lyft, you want to be very careful, um, you know, bring with you, I mean, we just uh, rode up to the Phoenix airport in a, uh, in a, uh, with a driver. And you want to, what we did was we wore our masks the entire time that we were in the vehicle. We had personal hand sanitizers with us, our own, that we constantly were washing, you know, washing our hands with it. We did everything we could to possibly avoid touching anything in the vehicle. Mm -hmm. You just need to be very careful because if you don't know where the vehicle's been, you don't know what's in it. And as you and I just said, you know, spoke about a couple times, we do not know how long uh, this virus will last on surfaces. Mm -hmm. And what about if you know you or a family member are infected with COVID and have been riding in the vehicle. Do you do you do vehicle decontamination? Yes, yes we do. do. Yes, we do. And it's best if they're having us come out and do their home or business that we do the vehicle at the same time. Um, the PPE, the personal protective equipment, and this is something else to consider and think about. Every technician that I outfit with personal protective equipment just the personal the PPE cost me approximately $100. So if you think about that, I have to be able to charge enough to cover my, not only my expenses of the disinfectants, but uh, the time and labor of my technicians, but also $100 every time they suit up in their uh, suits. So it's best if you have a vehicle that's been exposed and we're doing the home or business at the same time, we do it all at once so that, therefore, we, can, we actually throw the vehicles at that point in because mm -hmm. they're very simple to do. But if you do it on its own, it's an expensive thing for us to just outfit ourselves to do it. Mm -hmm. Hmm. You know, this is, this is really fascinating. Um, you're bringing up so many things that I hadn't even thought of. And I'm here on Tucson Business Radio X. I'm Carol Nygut, your home for real estate. 
And I'm here today with David Scott, who is the owner of Bio One, which is a decontamination uh, company here in Tucson. And we're focusing on how can we take care of concerns around um, COVID-19 contamination in our homes, in our businesses, in our vehicles. And David does provide uh, a fantastic service for those who uh, may feel the need to have professional decontamination. And so, David, I'm curious, are, are you seeing, are there... Are there things related to the decontamination in homes that I'm missing that that your experience conducting this type of service has taught you that our listeners might might benefit from? No, I mean the main thing that um, you want to know that you're dealing with a professional that knows what they're doing. Um, we have a set procedure of how we go in and how we do everything. Everything that we take out of the home, as we spoke about earlier, is bagged up in red bags. And then we actually are uh, one of only a few firms in Tucson that's licensed to transport medical waste. So we're able to take it right from the home or business and deliver it to a medical waste uh, disposal facility, either in Eloy or Casa Grande. Those are the closest uh, facilities to us. That's so interesting to me because... I'm thinking about so many people and so many businesses and institutions, you know, hospitals, mm -hmm. all of the businesses, the offices, the government buildings, where we know that they're they're doing a lot of decontamination. But I I really wonder if they are disposing of all of their materials appropriately. Are there are there laws or requirements about that? There's unfortunately COVID is so new that there are no laws or requirements. Uh, all you can do is follow what CDC recommends. So mm -hmm. since CDC has called this a level three biohazard, mm -hmm. that is what governs that we are disposing of it through medical waste disposal facility. And you don't, you know, not everybody can transport. You know, if, right. you, if you don't have a license, I mean, my trucks were inspected by ADEQ to make sure that they had no, you know, no way of leaking out of the box, you know, because we have box trucks, no way of leaking out or spills and things like that. We have to carry special chemicals in the box trucks in case of a spill. Um, a lot of guidelines that we had to set up in order to get licensed to, tra to transport. Boy, I'm thinking about so many people who I know who in their homes are, you know, trying to clean up, even if it's with Clorox or, you know, whatever. I have, I have actually have family members who have been infected with COVID. And, uh, and I know a lot of people who have been exposed or have been infected. And mm -hmm. I don't think any of them have ever thought about how they're disposing of the materials that they're using to clean and what they think is decontaminating the house afterwards. Um, right. So I, I'm guessing that can an individual dispose of things in a medical uh, site, or do you have to have uh, do you have to be a business, or how, what's what's that procedure no. like? There are there are companies uh, that will pick up medical waste. So if you did it yourself and uh, wanted to have them pick it up, they charge anywhere from fifteen to thirty-five dollars uh, per bag to pick up. So there are companies that can come around and pick up 
um, your waste from doing your own disinfection, and they'll they'll dispose they'll transport it to a medical waste disposal facility and dispose of it properly. And I'm assuming you would recommend that. I would highly putting it in yes. the garbage in a hefty bag or something. Right, because think about the garbage men that now have to take that hefty bag out of the garbage can and into the truck. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we don't. Unfortunately, we don't know enough about this virus to say that. Oh, I disinfect. I throw it in the garbage, and I'm safe. We don't know that you're not dis you're not contaminating somebody else down the line from the uh, disposal of that material. Mm. So you're really, because there's some little knowledge, you're really relying on what's been learned from earlier virus outbreaks, which you alluded to. Um, Correct. And, and I'm, I don't know that I've seen any research. Are they doing any research to determine if those recommendations based on previous viruses are effective with COVID? Well, they're using previous virus things, you know, outbreaks like H1N1 or HIV or even Ebola. They're using the guidelines that they set up for them the same as they are for COVID-19. Um, I feel that the most of the research right now is not going towards uh, how long, you know, how long does it live on surfaces, how to properly dispose of it, et cetera, because they're concentrating on finding out what's going to be a vaccine, what's going to be a cure, how can we kill this mm -hmm. virus for people. That's where most of the research is happening right now. Down the road, they may change their recommendations, but until they do, we need to be, you know, we don't know enough about this virus to say that it's going to be the same as uh, H1N1. Mm -hmm. We don't know. We can assume it might be, but we don't know. Look at HIV when it first came out. Yeah. Okay. We didn't know about it. It took years for everybody to learn about it, to understand it, to understand the proper procedures, to even understand how it's actually transmitted. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, we knew it was bloodborne and um, different avenues that you can transmit it. But, you know, back when HIV first came out, we thought that if we were even in the same room as somebody with HIV, we could get it. Yeah. I remember. I remember. They they thought it was airborne at one point. Right. So right now they're concentrating on finding a cure, you know, a um, vaccine and a way of treating people who have it. And that's really where the time and money should go right now. Down the road, we may learn a lot more about the transmission. You know, we don't, you know, there's no guarantee that we know exactly how it is transmitted. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and, do you, it sounds to me like you do try to keep up with all of the research. I would imagine that that's an important part of your job is to learn as much as you can. I mean, we don't know much, and a lot of the research now is, is very preliminary, but it, I imagine that must be an important part yes. that you play so that you can better serve your customers. Correct. Uh, BioOne is a national company. We have 110 offices nationwide. We have six offices here in Arizona, so we cover the whole state of Arizona. Uh, we have um, groups, you know, a Facebook group, private Facebook group that we talk to each other on. We're sharing information. We're attending webinars. We're trying to educate, keep educating ourselves as much as we can as this virus, as they find out more about this virus, so we can keep 
doing the proper procedures for the disinfection and we can keep our customers informed about what's needed and what's not. Mm-hmm. You know, I just had somebody hand me a question. They're wondering, given what you said about um, the toxicity of some of the chemicals that you use, somebody just handed me a question. Have you ever uh, known of someone who had a serious reaction coming back into a home after the treatment was done? Um, I'm going to give you a good example. Um, I'm not going to say where this was or who it was, but um, there's a, you know, a government agency, you know, they're going to get a couple different contractors that can do the work uh, so they can spread it around. So I did hear back from, we have a major contract with a government agency and they use us and one other firm. And the other firm did not have the people leave the building for the two to three hours. Like I said, they ha- they moved them from room to room. And a lot of the employees were complaining about burning in their throat, coughing, et cetera, from being in the room right after the disinfection was done. Mm. You know, what's very unfortunate about that is coughing and sore throat are some of the symptoms that some people have had when they have the, the virus. So, right. Mean, it's unfortunate to have it in any case, but to, to develop some of the very symptoms that you're treating to de- decontaminate from, well, wow, that's really, that's unfortunate. Yes. Um, so, and as I said, we don't know what it's going to do to the body later on. It's yeah. best to be, I would rather err on the side of caution yeah. than just whiz through a job just so I can make a few bucks. I'll walk if somebody wants me to do that. I'll walk away from the job uh, because I'm going to do it the right way, or I'm not going to do it. Well, and and unfortunately, I know I, you, I want to talk a little more about all of the services that BioOne provides. And unfortunately, one of the outcomes of COVID is that we do have unexpected uh, deaths. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes. We even realize that people have passed on in their homes without anyone even knowing. So they've been sitting in their homes. And I know that that's another one of the services that BioOne provides is is the removal of – you don't really remove the the deceased individual. I'm assuming that somebody from the morgue does that. The the coroner – uh, the, yes, somebody from the medical examiner's office removes the body, mm-hmm. or um, yeah, there's a, some of the service like Southwest Mortuary does a lot of the transports for both mm-hmm. the coroner and for different um, different funeral homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the body's always gone when we come in. But if somebody has been um, you know passed away and they're in their home for a few days, the body starts to decompose. Okay, so there are a lot of fluids that are left behind. Yeah. Now, if we, if we don't know exactly how that person died, there could be COVID in those fluids. There could be C. diff in those fluids. There could be several different bacteria, you know, a lot of different bacteria and viruses in those fluids. Mm-hmm. So it takes a set procedure and a lot of um, care in cleaning it up. The other thing is, that people, I've, I've been called in and uh, redone uh, people's homes that have had this, where the company that did it didn't do it right, so there's still a smell. 
oh. to the, to the uh, home. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it's a very, very potent smell when somebody has decomposed in a home. Um, so there are a lot of things that we look at. We look at, you know, unfortunately, there are flies. Where did all the flies go? We go around the whole home and clean up all the fly droppings mm. because the, fly, the flies will be carrying part of the bio. Wow. You know, there's a lot there's a lot to it and there's a lot of deep and again, everything we take out of there is considered medical waste and needs to be transported and properly disposed of. Wow. Well, um, you know, as we hear every night on the news as the hospitals are filling up more and more and more and because so many people have lost their health insurance now because they've lost their employment, that's one of the things that I years, we're going to start having more and more deaths in people's homes because they can't get admitted to medical facilities where they can be getting treated, and if the treatments aren't effective, pass away in the in the medical facility. So it's a very unfortunate situation, but it's wonderful that, you know, you provide a service uh, in such a really, really sad situation. And, and I know that you also, given that I'm a realtor <laughs> and mm-hmm. and my program, we really do like to address and educate listeners on things that are related to the home. I just want to talk about some of the other services that you provide. And one of the ones that's very important to me as a realtor is that you also uh, do mold remediation, correct? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, we are certified uh, by the um, micro, the um, Mold Institute um, of America. We are certified by them to do mold remediation. Um, and it's important. I mean, people out here think, oh, we're in a dry climate. I don't have right. to worry about mold. That's not true. Mold And mold can be very uh, toxic and very um, much you know, problem for people's health. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, we do do mold remediation. Uh, one thing I will add is we don't do the testing. We are licensed, we are certified to do the testing, but we will not do the testing because we feel it's a conflict of interest. Uh-huh. Oh. And, and people should think about that. If they're hiring a company that says, oh, I'll test it and then I'll come back and remediate it. Well, mm-hmm. are they really knowing, did they say that it's positive just because they wanted to do the remediation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's good to go, you know to hire two separate firms for that. That's a great point. That's a, that's a really really great point. Um, and I'm so glad that you you took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to say that we do have so many people out here that don't understand that it's possible to have mold in the desert. <laughs> yes. Yes. It you is. know. But I was just actually in a house yesterday where there had been a leak under the sink and. It had been let go, and so there was mold under the sink. And there, the tile in the bathroom, the caulking had loosened, so there was water behind the tile. So there was mold. But they had to remove all the tiles. So I do Correct. see it quite a bit. And what would you say to those people who will say, "Well, you can just take bleach and get rid of it"? Um, bleach is a great uh, tool to use for surface mold. But what are you going to do with the uh, mold that's behind the tile, for example, Mm -hmm. in a bathroom? Mm -hmm. It's still going to come out. It's still going to be airborne. You can't 100% seal it. So what are you going to do with that mold? Um, Mm -hmm. 
you know, bleached is an effective tool to uh, kill the mold spores, but you got to be able to get to them first. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, if you're using bleach or any chemical, are you taking care of the proper respiratory protection? Okay, so for example, again, just like we described with COVID, when we do mold, we're wearing, we're wearing respirators because mm -hmm. we want to make sure that because uh, we disturb it, and we're going to um, you know we disturb the mold, and we're going to you know we want to make sure we're not breathing it in. We want to make sure we set up containment zones so that when we disturb the mold, it stays in the containment zone with a negative air. You know, we we set up a negative air machine so that nothing comes out, no mold spores can get out of where we're working. Mm -hmm. Well, because I know it can be very damaging to the lungs as well. In fact, yes. people who have asthma tend to be the people. I've been with people touring homes and an older home that hasn't been maintained. Maybe it's vacant. And, and they will tell me that they can tell that there's mold in the house. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, because they can just tell how it's reacting in their own body. So, um, well, that's good to know that, that you also, you take such good precautions. And I really think it's great that you are aware of the conflict of interest between testing for the mold and remediating it. Because it's very, you know, all of these services that you provide, they're all such sensitive services and I think it's so important that people feel that whoever is providing these services can be trusted because I'm looking right. at the list of your services in addition to co the coronavirus cleaning and disinfecting suicide cleanup crime scene cleanup blood spill cleanup undiscovered and unattended death medical waste disposal um, tear glass uh, mold feces sewage backups rodent droppings I mean every single one of these can has very potentially serious ramifications for somebody's health if they aren't correctly addressed and remediated. Correct. Uh, so I, I think feeling trusting of the people who you have do this work for you is very, very important. Yes, I couldn't agree more. It's um, it's really something, you know, you got to think about what are they cleaning up? They're cleaning up things that, you know, the way we like to, like to always say is we're the company you, you know, we're the company that you want to call when we clean up all the gross stuff. We clean up the stuff that <laughs> nobody else wants to clean up. Yeah. Uh, but it's important that a homeowner or a business hires a professional to do this work so that it's done properly. They know that they can go away with a peace of mind. All, you know, A lot of our services, like uh, if it's a suicide or an unintended death or blood and things like that, 95% of the time it's actually covered by homeowner's insurance. Oh, so, uh, you know, things like unintended deaths and things like that, you know, a lot of the times there's a couple of policies that won't cover it, but 95% of the time, all the homeowner would be responsible for is the deductible. And we also. And our, our, our coronavirus treat, uh, no. contamination treatment? I was wondering about no. that. No, unfortunately not. The insurance companies are trying their uh, hardest to um, not cover anything related to COVID-19. That's why that's why I mentioned it's important. You know, I spent over a month on my re insurance renewal recently, making sure that I found the carrier that will cover me for liability for COVID-19 because n most 99% of the carriers, including my previous carrier who covered me for all these other viruses, hmm. are excluding coverage for COVID-19 
there's businesses out there that had business interruption insurance. Uh-huh. And the the carriers are saying no, COVID-19 is not a uh, legitimate cause for business interruption. Oh, even wow. though the government said we had to shut down. Yeah. So, wow. uh, you know, it's important to make much. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, insurance companies are trying to get a, not cover COVID because they don't know they don't know the extent of what the claims might be. Uh-huh. You know, another thing that I wanted to ask you about, because it, here in Tucson, we do have um, a large percentage of our population, our residents, our seniors, mm-hmm. some of whom have family in the area, many of whom move here to be near family, but a lot of whom don't have family here. And unfortunately, we do have situations where when the parents pass on, we're left with a house where there may have been some hoarding. Yes. You know, I, I, um, I think as we all age, we feel more uh, emotional about the things that are important to us. And so we tend to hold on to things a little more. So I, thought, I found it was really interesting to read that you also do hoarding cleanup because that's a service that I think, you know, I, as a realtor, when I try to assist my clients, I'm always sort of having to piecemeal it. Well, you can, here's a place where you can donate things. Here's, here's another place you can donate. Here's a place that picks things up. Here's, a, you know, and it's, a, it's sure. there's no single service provider where I can just say, give them a call and they're going to take care of it for you. So can you say a little bit about what you do in a hoarding situation? Sure. In a hoarding situation, we take care of the family from A to Z. Uh, okay, so we're going to go in. We're going to work with the family. We ask them to please, you know, before we even start the job, we ask them to please fill out a property retention form because we're going to look for memorabilia, special, certain things, anything of value we're going to look for. We just did a home where the person told us the uh, his sister would leave money laying around all over the place where we found a, a few thousand dollars and we took that and turned it back over to the family. Okay, the other thing is, is that not only do we clean out the home of all the clutter, but then we then go in and do a, dis- a decontamination or a disinfection of the home. So we'll clean the bathrooms. We'll clean the count, the kitchen. We'll, uh, we try, we want to make the home when we're done, a safe, livable environment for somebody to go into. Okay. And that, well, that's, gonna, that's a gonna, great yeah. service for me as a realtor. <laughs> now I'm going to interrupt you for one second, uh, Carol. Uh, I will, I'm just going to give a little plug. If people want to see how we do it, uh, the A&E uh, show Hoarders is coming back on the air on Monday, the 20th. Oh. And Bio, Bio One is the company doing the first, the uh, season uh, premiere uh, oh. of uh, the show Hoarders. Oh, I think so that's they, terrific. I'm, I want to make sure and get the word out about that. Yeah, so it's Monday night at 7 on A&E. Because I have been in that position um, several times where it's, it's basically it's left in my hands. You know, the, I'll get a call from out of state that mm-hmm. a family member has passed on and they've taken care of getting their loved ones transported to where they are so they can memorialize them and 
you know, bury them. And but but they want to sell the house. And right. I've I've been in that position several times, and it's very very challenging. And you know, I have I'm noticing the time, and um, I wanted to ask you because I do sell homes, and our market is extremely busy right now. I'm wondering, short of somebody hiring you, I have a lot of my buyers who are going into a house that they've purchased from someone that they don't know. And short of being able to afford to have you come in and do a professional decontamination, what can I recommend to my buyers that they can do to feel a little more assured that they are at least taking some measures uh, to protect themselves from coronavirus? Well, the first thing is, if the house is set vacant for, let's say, two to three weeks, mm -hmm. the likelihood of the virus being alive in that home is very, very minimal. Okay. So um, if they you know, if they don't want to do a full disinfection because of the cost or anything like that, if they um, leave the home, if they can afford to leave the home vacant, you know, it's not one of these shotgun uh, closings where they closed on their house and closed on the new one. And they're right. moving right away. So if they can leave the home vacant uh, for a little while, you know, for at least two weeks, that's a good, easy way, inexpensive way, potentially to um, to um, avoid the virus being in their home. And what about new construction? You know, we you were we there when people purchase a new construction home, there have been a lot of different people mm -hmm. in and out of there, a lot of different trades people. And of course, there is a period of time that passes after some of the tradespeople have completed their work, which would allow for the, you know, the two-week period of time. But it's, I mean, that's a great suggestion, though. It's possible delay your move-in and give the property time uh, to make sure that the virus has dissipated, if there should be any virus. Is there anything else that you could recommend? If, if What if someone can't take that two weeks um if they can't take the two weeks they can try uh they can try um you know disinfecting it themselves um but i would recommend if they can't take the two weeks think about building that expense into their um their purchase and move uh i just did um a matter of fact we did a home for um an agent, you know, a client of an agent recently where mm -hmm. the seller, um, you know, it was requested of the seller because there was some questions about the people that were living in it before uh -huh. that um, through the real estate agent, we set it up and we took care of it uh, and the seller paid for it. It's just, it's one of those things that you're going to have to negotiate right, uh, with a realtor. Um, so, um, but if it's a brand new built home, you still got to be concerned with waiting the time or disinfecting it yourself or doing something because of all those people. I mean, we're building a house right now and uh -huh. I'm going to disinfect it before we actually move in. Right. Uh, right. Cause I don't know who these uh, contractors have been that the um, HO, you know, the uh, development's hired. Right. And I know that when I, I'm actually in the process of building a home too. And I know that, when I have gone, just to kind of, I keep an eye on it. I'm a realtor. I keep an eye on it. I've noticed that a lot of the tradespeople aren't wearing masks or gloves. So, um, exactly. 
so um, I'm going to get a little more technical here, real estate-wise, but two questions. Can, would you be willing to escrow your cost if I'm in a transaction and I have a seller or even a buyer who wants this service? Would you be willing to get paid out of escrow so that you aren't paid until the transaction closes? Yes, we may ask for a small deposit just to cover our uh, fixed costs of the PPE. Depends okay. on the situation, but we have done that in the past. And uh, do you go out and provide estimates for your services? Yes, we do. All of our estimates are free. We do not charge okay. for providing an estimate. Okay, that's good to know. Now I have one final question, sure. and I'm not sure that you can answer it, but I know there's been a fair amount of talk in the media about air conditioning and the transmission of COVID mm -hmm. um, through air conditioning systems. Do you have anything yes. that you can offer us on that topic? Well, when we, for example, when we go into a home to disinfect it, we do also do the HVAC system. So we'll take out the filter and, the, you know, get rid of the filter because we don't know what's in the filter um, from for the virus. But then we'll also run the system and spray our chemical through the system so that we do the best we can to disinfect the whole home. Okay. So that is one part that we do do. So that's included in the regular service that you provide? Correct. Well, that's wonderful. David, I have really enjoyed having you on. I'm very impressed by your thoroughness and by um, by your knowledge and your experience. And I've learned a lot. I'm sure my listeners have. And I just want to give you an opportunity now, because you have told us so much about what you do, to let people know how they can get in touch with you. And the one thing I know I was very impressed with I, is that on your website it says, and I know when I've called, you answer the phone. Yes. Now, yes, either my uh... – Either Caroline or I, we're the owners of Bio One. We are the first ones that will answer the phone. And however, we have set it up so that a live person that works for us, not an answering service, will always answer the phone. So, what, you know, if I'm on the phone like I am right now with you for this interview, it our system is set up that it will ring to the next person in our company. So it'll always get answered by somebody. You'll always be able to talk to a live person. That's terrific. And and how do we get in touch with you? So you can call us. Our phone number is 520-771-5960. You can also visit our website, which is www.bio1tucson. And that's all spelled out, B-I-O-O-N-E-T-U-C-S-O-N.com. Well, David, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you on. And I am Carol Nygut. This is your home for real estate here at Tucson Business Radio X. And I, it's been very informative learning all about dealing with contaminating coronavirus in our homes, in our businesses, in our cars. And uh, it's been a pleasure. And I, if you have any questions, you can certainly reach me at 520-448-6033. And I look forward to getting back with you next month. And I'm hoping that next month we're going to talk about the electrical systems and issues that, and plumbing things that people here in, in homeowners, particularly in Tucson, 
but in general, what do homeowners need to know about these systems in, in your houses? So thank you so much for listening, and please stay safe and be well. And thank you again, David. Thank you, Carol, for having me on. We hope you enjoyed your home for real estate with Carol Dygate on Tucson Business Radio X, 